go ahead and have a seat this morning. And uh, remember, it's kids' camp time. Called my name's going to take a seat, and uh, we'll get going here. Well, we have been um, taking this summer as uh, kind of a summer to do a do a sightseeing tour, and uh, been looking at different places in uh, in Israel, and uh, these last weeks specifically uh, around Jerusalem. So today we'll go to one more uh, site uh, in uh, in Jerusalem. And try to unpack uh, not just some of the history about it and things we can learn about the site and those things, but more importantly, you know, to get to that place that says, what difference does it make tomorrow? Because I know something today about this place. Um, It must be an important place that we're going to talk about today because uh, all four uh, Gospels refer uh, to this place. So if you look at the next slide, uh, you'll see the the place and uh, figure out where we're going today. Matthew refers to it. Matthew 27 says... They came to the place called Golgotha. That's where we're going. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Mark 15 says they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Luke says when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with uh, the criminals. And then uh, John 19, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called uh, Golgotha. So now you know where we're going, right? Uh, we're going to a hill. We're going to go to that hill that in Aramaic is called uh, uh, Golgotha. Uh, but many of us also know the hill by another name, right? What's the other name you know this hill by? Think. Let me give you a hint. It comes from St. Jerome. St. Jerome translated uh, the uh, uh, Aramaic, uh, the Greek, into uh, Latin. When he translated these sections of scripture that referred to the place of the skull, he used the Latin word, word Calvaria. Any ideas? English, it gets translated as Calvary. Thank you very much. Calvary. Sure, we do that. So we're going to Calvary. We're going to Golgotha. We're going uh, to, that, uh, to that hill. As you think about it, all of the scriptures refer to this place, uh, and they all have in common, not just uh, except for Luke, the word Golgotha, but Luke uses the same description as the place of the skull, right? Why is it called the place of uh, the skull? Uh, Origen, back in the third century, uh, suggested that it was called the place of the skull because by tradition it is the place in Jerusalem where Adam's skull was buried. One theory that Origen said, look, Adam's skull, uh, that he was buried outside of Jerusalem. And so obviously it's the place of the skull because, uh, well, that's where Adam's skull is. Of course, others came along and said, uh, no, it's not called for that reason. It's called for that reason because the place itself, the hill, the mountain itself simply looks like a skull. Right. You know, how many have been to the Dells and taken those riverboat trips? Right? You go on the riverboat trip and you're going on the riverboat on the river and they say, well, now coming up here on the right, uh, right around the, at the point, is called Eagle's Point. And if you look there up the rocks on the right, you'll see an eagle. And so you get there and you look and you look and you look. And maybe you get to a right angle where you say, okay, could be an eagle. Right? I mean, am I the only one that has bad vision on that stuff? I mean, I can never kind of 
Okay, I guess maybe it could be an eagle, but you know. But I mean, the theory is that it was called the place of the skull because the hill itself, the, the, the geography of the hill itself, simply looked like a skull. The third option that's been promoted out there is that no, it's not that. It's about what happens in this place. That it became referred to as the place of the skull because it was the place of execution. And there were so many executions that it just became known as the place of the skull. I mean, uh, today, what do we put on our poison bottles? Skull and crossbones. Why? Because we want people to know, hey, death resides here, right? Death resides here. Well, that's, that's the idea, is that no, it's not about the hill, it's not about Adam's skull. It's about the reality that, look, this was a place of death, and executions took place, and executions took place, and executions took place, and it is simply the place of death itself. Okay, so there's some of the realities, but trying to find the location then of where this might be and, and what it might be. Um, the only hints that we get from Scripture are on the, on the next slide. Uh, if you go to John 19.20, uh, it gives us some hints as to the location of Golgotha. It says, the place where Jesus was taken wasn't far from the city. So what did we just learn about Golgotha? Well, it's just outside the walls, right? Not, not far. So wherever they went just wasn't very far. From, from the city. And then look at the second half of the verse. And many of the Jewish people read the charge against him. The key is there are many. So it's a place not far from the city, but it's also a place where there's an intersection of people. It is a traveled place because all kinds of people saw Jesus and the inscription uh, on the cross, right? Which makes sense because Romans never did execution in private. They always did execution as publicly as possible because they wanted to make sure everybody saw it and everybody got the same message. And the message was simple. You mess with Rome, you do the bad thing, guess what happens to you? Pretty clear message. So we know from uh, John it's not too far from the city and that it was in a very very public place, an intersection of streets or, or, or routes. If you go to Hebrews uh, 13, uh, at the bottom there, it also says Jesus himself, himself suffered outside the city gate. So there's another hint, and that would be according to Jewish law, that the Romans were sensitive enough that the Jewish law said, you know, executions could not take place within the city walls. And so executions had to take place outside the city gate. If you look at the next slide, you'll see a map that kind of gives you a sense of where the city walls were during Jesus' time. And so you see the upper city and the lower city there in the blue. And you see Herod's place right over here. You see Temple Mount right over here. And then this is the proposed probability the archaeologists have of where uh, the walls probably were in Jesus' day. Now, we have a little problem with saying, yep, that's absolutely where the walls were because Jerusalem was destroyed uh, two times by the Romans after Jesus' death. Uh, whenever the, the Jews would revolt, 
you know, and, and, and kick rid of the Romans, the Romans would march back in and they would just devastate uh, the city. So we can't just go there today and say, oh, hey, there it is, there's the wall. No, it's all from excavations and archaeological work to try and discover the reality uh, of, of these walls. So that gives you a sense of, of, of where the walls were. Um, the big change happened when Constantine the Great became a Christian, uh, the leader of the, of the world, Constantine the Great, the, the most powerful in the world at that time. He became a Christian, and when he became a Christian, his whole family became a Christian, and his mother, Helena, took it upon herself to become the one who would go to Jerusalem, would go to Israel, and would discover all of the important sites where Jesus did miraculous things or where he taught or where significant events happened in Jesus' life. So Helena, in 326, came to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to find Golgotha. And so she came and did her research to find Golgotha. And to give you an example of how they did research in those days, the uh, tradition has it that one of the ways she researched was to take an older Jewish gentleman and put him on a rack and stretch him until he, he said, this is where Golgotha is. That's how they did research in those days. Not like doing it in the libraries, right? In the, in the stacks, right? Uh, but, you know, anyway, Helena went there. She, she did her research. The net result is that Helena uh, came to believe that Golgotha was located at a site where the Romans had built a temple to Aphrodite. So Helena had the temple of Aphrodite uh, wiped out, destroyed, and then she began an excavation project to find the, uh, the place of Jesus' crucifixion and hopefully to also find the place of his burial. Uh, the reality for us today uh, is that that place is the next slide that Helena marked with the building of a church. And while the church got destroyed over, over history, and another church built, and destroyed, and another church built, today it is the Church of the Holy uh, Sepulchre. And if you go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which we can in the next slide, there it is, uh, there's an altar inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and you can see how ornate that is, right? Uh, kind of cool. But uh, don't look at the ornate stuff. Instead, Look at the altar and the floor to the left and right of the altar. Do you see anything there? I'll help you out. Look at the next picture. Here's a close-up of one side. What do, what do you see in there? See the rock? According to Helena's research, this is the place of the crucifixion of Jesus. That this is that top of the hill protruding. Uh, and they did some other archaeological research and, and uh, looking around, and one of her um, folks doing that research believed he actually found a crack or a crevice in which uh, the cross was probably positioned uh, because it would be strong enough and stable enough and deep enough to, uh, to hold the cross. There's also a tradition out there that says that when Helena discovered this place, that they discovered also the tomb. So inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you can also visit uh, what they believe to be the tomb. And uh, Eusebius, who was a, a Christian uh, historian who accompanied Helena on this journey, uh, he wrote uh, these words. He says, The venerable and hallowed monument of our Lord's resurrection became visible. 
that he believed through his excavations that they had found not only the place where he was crucified, but also uh, the actual tomb where Jesus, um, uh, Jesus was buried. And tradition has it that inside the tomb, uh, they found nails and they found the placard that Pilate had put on the cross uh, and they found remnants of three crosses. And to just authenticate that it was the cross that Jesus died on, Helena brought a person in who had been uh, disabled since birth and had them touch each of the cross. And the tradition is that when he touched one of the crosses, he was healed instantly. And so they, they assumed this was the cross on which uh, Christ died. If you go back to the map, you can see where the Church of the Holy Sepulcher uh, is located there. And you can see it's outside the original city walls. Does it meet the test at least of being outside the walls? Yep, got that, right? Now the problem is you'll also see another red dot on the, on the map here, and it's called the Garden Tomb. And it's been proposed as an alternative site of where uh, Jesus was crucified and where the Garden Tomb uh, is located. It's called Gordon's Calvary because a guy named General Jar Charles Gordon was the one who discovered and really promoted this uh, as the, the place of, uh, of Golgotha. If you go to the next slide, you can see it and it looked familiar. Yeah, it should look familiar because I was standing there in the, in the video. The video that we took was taken here at this alternative site. Uh, and if you, you look at it and you look at the hill, you can kind of see, remember, we're all in the dells now. You know, what is it that you kind of see there? Kind of see it, right? And there's a picture on the pole there. I can go to the next slide and you can see it even closer. That's the picture of the pole. And here's an even better picture. Yeah. So do you get a sense of a skull? as you look at those pictures. Kind of awesome, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you get a sense of the skull. Um, the best picture in the, in the picture that I want to concentrate on today of the experience of being over there is the next one. Because we will never really determine the site, you know, of, of where Jesus, Jesus died. And to be honest, I'm not sure that that's all that important in terms of our daily lives. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's awesome to be able to discover that. I mean, it's a tremendous spiritual experience when you're over there and you get just thinking about being potentially in that place where Jesus gave his life for us. But I think the real question for us today is, is really uh, captured uh, by this picture uh, because it's not talking about where the actual location is of where Golgotha is, rather to ask and look at the question of what difference does this hill make in your tomorrow? I mean, what difference does it make to know that Jesus Christ died on a hill outside the city gates for you? Let me just lift up a few things that I think are, are uh, captured here in, in, this, in this picture. Uh, the first point I would lift up before you is, do you notice how the mountain, is the hill there is just kind of a, it's just kind of an intrusion? Right? It's just, it's just kind of getting in the way of everything. I mean, the houses and the, the buses and you got the, you know, the stuff up on top and, and, the, and the whole hill thing. It's just kind of an intrusion that they had to kind of, you know, build the walls around and it just kind of interrupts everything there. Right? Well, here's the reality. Knowing the truth that Jesus Christ died on a hill for us 
interrupts the regular nature of our lives. It just interrupts us. It it, it interrupts us. It intrudes into our life and says, we can't go on living life anymore the way we simply want to go on living life according to what we want for our lives and according to the purposes we think are important in terms of our lives. The hill intrudes into our life and it says, wait a minute, you now, like Jesus, have to press up the hill of God's purpose and plan and direction for your life. Jesus, when he was on the hill, was fulfilling everything that God wanted in his life. He was pressed into accomplishing this task for the salvation of the world. We're not over in the garden anymore. Remember, we were in the garden and, and we're, Jesus was saying, look, I don't have to do this. And we're not in the garden anymore. There's no longer a debate. He now has to fulfill the purposes of what God wants in his life. And it's now up to him to be perfect in his fulfillment of that purpose. I'll give you another example. If you go to Matthew 27, where it's talking about Golgotha, Um, You get the experience of a guy named Simon of Cyrene. It says, on the way, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They came to a place named Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Here's Simon just going about his day, you know, taking in the the spectacle of a big crowd and something's happening. And I wonder what's going on over there. And uh, as he's in the midst of just kind of taking it all in and just kind of doing, you know, ready to go to the market after the parade goes by, probably. He just gets captured and pressed into the experience now of carrying the cross. Isn't that what? Jesus dying on a hill does for us. It now captures us and it presses on us to be what God wants us to be. To know that Jesus Christ died on a hill for me. Can I do anything else but what God wants in my life? Isn't that it? It now intrudes into our life and becomes the center. Because Jesus Christ died on a hill, I can't do anything else but what God wants for me. Look at the picture again. You look at the picture and uh, uh, it's interesting uh, to me that um, as uh, as you look at what's going on there, um, there's just a busyness about the place, isn't there? I mean, you see the hill kind of intruding into everything, but what was it intruding to? Well, it's, it's intruding into the busyness of the place. You know, there's people living in the houses back there. You've got the buses going on there. And when you're standing there, it's just a really loud place. I don't know if you heard it on the video, but it's just really a loud place because it's just a busy place. Isn't it ironic? I mean, look at that picture. Hill where the Savior of the world potentially died for our salvation, bus station. Does anybody else kind of find that kind of ironic? 
hill where God's activity for the salvation of the world took place. Below it, bus station. You see, it's easy for us to get lost in the busyness of life and become callous to what Jesus accomplished on that hill. But let me give you uh, an example. It goes to the soldiers in Matthew 27. It says, The soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross and gambled to see who would get his clothes. Then they sat down to guard him. Above his head they put the sign, told why he was nailed there, read Jesus, King of the Jews. And the soldiers also nailed two criminals to the cross. This one on the right, Jesus. One on the left, just sounds like another day at work. Just kind of going about my business. Just being a soldier in the Roman army. And, you know, pulled the duty where I'm uh, the guy crucifying people today. And, uh, and you know, it's okay. Nail him up there, get him in place, sit down, gamble a little bit. You see, they're just going about their day callous to understanding what God is doing in that moment. That would be so easy for us, wouldn't it? I mean, to get captured by the busyness of what goes on in our life and, and to forget what Jesus did for us on that hill. I don't know if uh, many of you remember it, but um, this is an important day for us because uh, this Sunday uh, marks moving past one year of being in this new facility, of having ministry in this new building. Isn't that cool? How many remember? High fives. I'm talking high fives. Come on, shout, jump for joy. Absolutely. Isn't that awesome? And even more, it means also that in our old facility, we were worshiping about, oh, 100 people on a weekend in our building. We had about 100 people every Sunday in our building. Now, since we moved into our new facility, we've been, we've been averaging just under 300 people uh, every week in our new building. Is that awesome? High fives, pat everybody on the back, shout for joy, jump. Anybody want to dance, feel free. It's okay, right? It's a good thing. Now, here's the other thing. Guess what? Breaks over. Breaks over. Why? Because we can't get callous and comfortable. We can't get callous and comfortable. Because God presses us forward into continually accomplishing what He wants in our lives and as a church. I mean, we can rejoice. We can give thanks. It's awesome what God has done. I'm telling you, I'm thrilled. But you know what? Breaks over. It's time to get going again. It's time for us to remember Jesus Christ died on a hill. We can't forget it. We can't get callous to it. It's to remember Jesus Christ died on a hill and he died for everybody out there. He died for the people at the checkout counter and, and he died for the people that are driving by me in their car and, and he died for the people that I'm going to have supper with tonight. And he died on a hill for all those people that we have yet to reach. We can't get callous and comfortable we have to press forward. We have to fill this room up and start a third service. 
We have to fill up that children's area and get ready to find more space and put them up in the youth area. We've got to add on. We've got to do whatever it is God wants us to do to keep moving forward. Why? Because we can't forget. We can't get callous. We can't just settle and say, well, we're doing fine. No, Jesus Christ died on a hill. Jesus Christ died on a hill. And he died for every human heart. And until we reach every human heart, we're not done. And that's what he presses us toward. You see, the temptation in our lives as a church, as an individual, is to just get forgetful and callous. Like those Roman guards. And forget what God did for me on that hill called Golgotha. Look at the picture again. Uh, you look at the picture, and uh, the other thing that I noticed about the hill is uh, you can't miss it, right? You can't miss it. Life is just going on, and right there in the middle of all of it is this big old hill. It's just right there. You can't miss it. It's a very public thing, right? It's a very public place. Remember, we talked about the Romans wanting to do it in a very public place. Well, it still is. you got... People living in the shadows of the hill. you got folks in the buses down there every day going to get on the bus. And, and there it is, right there, this huge hill, just very public and open. But I'll warn you, when you start answering the call to live your life and your faith, and God presses you forward into doing what he wants for your life, he will lift your life up in a public way. Faith is never private. He will lift you up to a higher place. A hill is a hill because it is higher, right? He will lift you up to a higher place. And that higher place in your life is going to make your life public. Your faith is going to be public. And i got to warn you what happens in public places. Look at Matthew 27 again. It says, People who passed by said terrible things about Jesus. The chief priests, the leaders, the teachers of the law of Moses, they also made all kinds of fun of Jesus. The two criminals also said cruel, hurtful, hateful things to Jesus. And at noon, the sky turned dark, and it stayed that way until 3 o'clock. What happened in this public place? Some very dark and ugly things. My friends, when you understand that Jesus Christ died for you on a hill, he will lift your life up to a public place. And you've got to be ready, because it will not always be pleasant. It will not always be easy, but it will always be the opportunity to be faithful. Just like Jesus was on a hill outside the walls of Jerusalem. You see, he went through all of that ugliness with you on his mind. Every insult, every jeer, every hurtful thing that was said, he had you on his mind and he took it all because of you. And now he asks us to remember and live that public life of faith. And when hurtful things come our way, to do the same thing. To just remember Jesus. To remember Jesus. 
and everything he endured to give us the possibility of this life. Our life will become public. It won't always be pleasant, but it will always be possible. Look what happens next in Matthew uh, uh, 27. And as you look at the picture, you can see that it takes place not only in a public place, but while life is just going on. And here's what happens while life is just going on. It says, once again, Jesus shouted and then he died. At once the curtain of the temple was torn from, from uh, top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. Now look at verse 52. You looking? Verse 52. Graves opened and many of God's people were raised to life. Then after Jesus had risen to life, they came out of their graves and went into the holy city where they were seen by many people. What does he do? When he dies on that hill, he rips open the possibility of your life becoming incredible. Doesn't he? He rips open the graves. He rips open what was dead. He rips open what was stagnant. He rips open what was decaying. He rips it open and he pulls it out and he creates an incredible possibility of life. Is your marriage in the grave? Let Jesus rip it open. Is your relationship with your kids in the grave? Let Jesus rip it open. Is your work life in the grave? Let Jesus rip it open. That's what he does on a hill. He rips open our lives to be able to elevate us. Isn't it incredible? These are people that Jesus reaches into life and pulls from death and transfers them to life. That's what he does on a hill. And that's what he can do in each of our lives. When we remember a hill outside at a city wall, and we make the observation that some Roman soldiers made on that day. You see, as you look at the picture, you look at the picture and you see the hill but you have to remember what's on top of the hill today. I don't know, what is that up there? Looks like a station for AT&T, doesn't it? Something like that, huh? No, you see what you have to know? You have to know who the person was on that hill. That's what you have to know. Look, look at Matthew 27. It says, the officers and the soldiers guarding Jesus felt the earthquake and they saw everything else that happened and they were frightened and they said what? Say it with me. This man really was God's son. You believe it? That's what's important. Do not leave this room today until you believe that truth. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a hill outside Jerusalem so that your sins, your disgrace, your shame, your guilt could be wiped away and that he could rip open the possibility of an elevated public life of faith that presses forward despite the obstacles, that presses forward to accomplish what God wants in your life on a hill outside the city gates the very son of God died for you let's pray Father thank you 
thank you for the hill. And not just the piece of ground, no matter if it looks like a skull or whatever the place. But thank you that in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, we know it is the place of faith that Jesus Christ gave up everything that we could have life. Father, make it true. Make it real in our lives. Let it intrude into everything that we're about, that we can live that life that you want us to live according to your purpose and your glory. Rip open those places of darkness and elevate us to that public life of faith that others may come to know the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And because he lives, because he died, our sins can be forgiven and our life can be new. We praise you. We thank you for that hill. In Jesus' name, amen.